welcome you to our podcast. We hope that you get to know God more, that you feel encouraged, and that you see how God's moving in your life from a brand new perspective. Enjoy today's message. Well, good evening, Bedrock. How's everybody doing? You having a good night? Uh, wasn't that encouraging that there's organizations in our city who are pushing back darkness and being the church and being a solution? I think so many times the church is, we're able to recognize darkness. We're able to recognize need, but we don't always go and meet it. And we've been called to do that as the church. And so, Courtney, thank you so much for what you do. Thank you for being a solution to what's happening. And I, church, we got to partner with this. I mean, if we know of a need, we got to go. I mean, that God has equipped us and called us to be that kind of church. And so if you're new with us, let me just welcome you. My name's Blake. I'm one of the pastors here at Bedrock. I'm excited to be with you tonight. And you're coming in at a great time, actually. So we're actually ending a series that we did on the book of Psalms this summer. And, and we really focused in on this idea that the Psalms were written, these stories or poems, they were written for people and, and really talking about how to basically survive in exile. Right? If you understand kind of the context of what's going on in the book, th- there's a point where Israel is taken into cap- captivity by this nation called Babylon. And when that happens, their temple is destroyed. And, and for them, that was their place to meet with God. That was their place to, to know Him. And so these, these like poems and songs that you would sing were there to kind of help the people survive some of the darkest moments they had ever been in. And David writes, and, and others write, and you know, in the English, we don't always get to see how beautiful these psalms are. In fact, even tonight, uh, there's a section of this psalm that we're going to read tonight that actually rhymes and, and has like poetical language and, and would be there to help people understand, right? Because how many of you learned the ABC song? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. No one hears a monster and just goes A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, Elemental P. I even had a little rhyme there, <clears throat> right? But you notice that matches twinkle, twinkle, little star, right? <clears throat> the reason why we do that, the reason why we have lullabies and, and songs like this is because what they do for you and I is they help us memorize. I don't know if anyone in high school or in college, that's the way you studied. I had a friend that would write songs, um, and he would have like certain songs that he had, but when he had to memorize, we had a lot of Greek we had to memorize in college, and so he'd have these like Greek songs, and I'd be like, are you speaking in tongues, or are you, you're learning Greek? Okay, okay, got it, okay. <clears throat> but th- this all helps us understand, and sometimes we miss out on that, but I really do believe that Psalms has something to say to each of us, that there is a part of our life that can connect to what's going on. And so I was thinking about this week and thinking about like this particular psalm that we're going to end on this week, and it's a psalm of praise. It's where uh, David actually is the author of this psalm, and he's talking about praise, and he's, he's bringing us into this moment. And, and I was thinking about it, and as I was reading it, I was like, you know what David is doing? This is an infomercial. That's exactly what Psalm 103 is. And I don't know, like, anyone remember OxyClean? right? We use OxyClean. That stuff works, right? Billy Mays here, right? And he'd come out and you're like, blue shirt, black beard, here we go, right? Billy Mays is here, I believe. But I don't know about you, I like an infomercial. You guys like infomercials? Some of y'all, I know, you have every as seen on TV thing in your house, right? But the reason that they work is because I firmly believe that like especially Billy Mays and those guys, I think they actually really believe in the product, like, there is an aspect that, that their genuineness in those commercials, like, really comes through, right? And you think about it, like, why don't you just sell it in a store? I think that because they believe in it so much, they can sell it themselves. And I know that sometimes we look at infomercials as, like, kind of sleazy or maybe disingenuous, and I don't want you to think that way. Because the point of those, those commercials is to really say like, hey, this is something that works. This is something that has changed my life. This is something that I use, and I promise you, you need it too. And I wonder, not that we need to be disingenuous, but I wonder like if as people, we're talking about Jesus that way. I wonder if there's like a part of our life where we're like, he's real, he's changed my life, he's done all of these things in my life, and listen to who he is and and what he does, and do you want to know him? And so as I was thinking about this, I was like, what makes those commercials so, like, engaging? 
Like anyone ever been, like you've watched the whole infomercial, right? Before, you've been two hours in, and you're like, I need a vacuum and a blender, and I need a juicer. And then if I get juice on my shirt, there's OxyClean. I'm good. My whole life has been solved. But here's how, how it worked and why it worked. See, what, what Billy Mays would do, he'd, you know, get excited, he'd talk, but then what he did is he would take the product and he showed how it worked. He's like, oh, you know, OxyClean, you just throw this stuff in a bucket, you throw all your clothes that are stained in the bucket, and then there's no more stains, right? And then, so he showed how it worked, but then he showed that it worked, right? He, he said, like, look, this works, this happened. But I think what was most um, convincing is I really believed, and maybe he didn't want this, but there is this heart to help people, right? Because that's what was happening. That's what he was selling is that he, he cared for you and he saw like you had a need and he wanted to help meet that need. And he believed that this was the solution to the need. He was excited about it. There was this genuineness to who he was. He didn't open up uh, the commercial and go, hi, I'm Billy Mays. I'm here to sell you the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. Would you like to buy? I'd be like, I'd like to turn you off. Right? Like, this is boring. And as we go into Psalm 103, this psalm of praise, I really believe that David's genuineness to what the Lord has done in his life is palpable. We see it. We, we see this moment where David is praising God. And remember, there are times in David's life where he did not have a lot to praise about. Right? Because David is the boy who killed a giant with a sling and a stone, who was told he would be king. But when he was told he would be king, Saul, the, the king at the time, began to hunt David, wanted to kill David. And there's times in David's life where David finds himself in caves hiding from the king because he's going to try to get him and to murder him. And how many of you would, I mean, let's be honest, like I don't know if this would be me be praising in a cave the Lord who I felt maybe would have abandoned me. Like, hey, you told me I was going to be king. Why am I in a cave? Why am, why am I in this moment? But what you realize is and what you see is in the strength and the beauty of what God did in David's life is that praise always triumphs circumstance. Always. And we talked about last week, there's always something to give praise to. There's always something to give worship to and thanks to. And so David opens up this psalm, uh, and, I, and the, it doesn't quite come through in the text. Like, I don't know about you, but when you read your Bible, I don't know if it's like very somber or, but this is real people. These are real people writing real words inspired by the Holy Spirit for generations of people to come. And so when I see an exclamation point, not that you need to scream at the top of your lungs in, in these moments, but they mean something. They're excited about it. And so, David, if you have a Bible with you, let's start in Psalm 103. If you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry. We have free ones in the back, or you can download it on your device, or the words are always on the screen for you. But listen to what David says, how he begins this psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul. How many of you have heard that in songs? How many of you have heard that all over the place? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Notice what he says. He says, literally, bless God three times in two verses, right? Bless the Lord with all my soul. Bless his holy name. And then again, bless the Lord with all of my soul. Obviously, David is excited. How many of you, when you get excited, you repeat yourself, right? You just, you get like, oh, this is so exciting. And you just say the same thing five times. David's excited, David can't wait to tell you about how good God is. And I'll just tell you, when, when we see words repeated, especially very closely in Scripture, God's trying to tell us something. God's going, hey, bless the Lord. Bless him in all of these places, in all of these circumstances. And let me just tell you, there are parts of David's life where I would say, why are you blessing the Lord? I mean, I know that in Scripture, we're told to do that, but can anyone, you guys ever get confused with Scripture where sometimes it says something, you're like, I don't quite get how we're supposed to do that. Like to love my enemy, to turn the other cheek, to forgive as I've been forgiven, this sounds real hard. Well, doesn't God always call us to things that are harder than us so that we have to rely on him? 
Maybe God called us to do hard things that seem so outside of a normal human experience because that right there tells us we need him. Like to even love like God loves, we need him to help us love. And so David opens the psalm and he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. That word bless literally means, it's this word barak in the Hebrew, which means literally to take a kneel, to kneel before something. But what it also means is that with every ounce of you, you're to do this. That word soul there includes the entire person. Your mind, your heart, your thoughts, your innermost being. What David is saying is, bless the Lord with all that you have. With everything that is in you, bless the Lord. And I don't know about you, when you get excited, does anyone ever get excited in here and you start telling people about everything that's so good about something? Like something has changed your life, something has done this incredible work in your life, and all you can do is talk about the blessing and the praises of that thing. Some of us, it's like, you been to this restaurant yet? Have you, have you had, like, I've been telling Eamon, Eamon and I go to Origin Wings all the time. We get the trifecta wings, and I just told Eamon, Eamon, these are the best wings you'll ever have. These are incredible. These are unbelievable. They're going to change your life. I can eat them while I'm on keto. Here we go. And then Eamon would go, and now Chelsea goes, and they're the best wings in the world. Because I was so excited about what I had experienced there, I began to tell the world about what happened. Right? That's like organic marketing. Right? The best type of marketing is word of mouth. David goes, I got a word of mouth message. God has changed my life so much. All I can say is praise him and bless him for he has changed me. But let me ask you something. Like anyone ever see like in the Bible, there's sometimes that like the Bible tells you to do something. That's a command there, not like a suggestion. Sometimes we think praising God is a suggestion. Like, oh, if I feel like it. David goes, no, that's a command to bless and praise the Lord. And here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean you're always happy. That doesn't mean that you're praising the Lord. You've got to fake it in your heart. For if your heart is sorrowful and you're dealing and struggling with things, it's okay to be honest and to tell God what's going on. And let me tell you something, God's not worried about your doubt. God's not afraid of your doubt, and he's not afraid of your situation. In fact, we'll see in this psalm, he has compassion and remembers exactly who we are. In fact, one of the only, well, Jesus quotes a lot of psalms, by the way, but on the cross, there's one psalm that Jesus quotes, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But when we're honest with God and we show God honor by in our innermost being, acknowledging him and recognizing him, that's worship. That's worship right there. And I know that we don't think that it is, but it is. It's honest worship. I am struggling and suffering in my soul. I don't understand all of these things. And so, God, I'm still going to turn to you. And I'm still going to honor you. And I'm still going to bless you with all that I am, even though I feel like I am dying. God doesn't need fake praise. So just be honest. Oh, did you guys hear that? Isn't that good? You know what? We always want to be a... That's my son, Jude, actually. I can tell by his laugh. <laughs> he probably bit a kid. Okay. And so, <clears throat> not, I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's a pastor's son's a biter. Um, <clears throat> but listen, church, we, 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 whenever we, we... If we ever move to another building, which I'm sure that we will or we ever go, I never want to block that out. I never want to block out those things. Like some people are like, oh, man, those kids are loud. Good. I hope they're loud, and I hope they get louder, and I hope they're worshiping and praising Jesus, and I hope the praise of little ones will inspire some older ones. Yes. So, church, we're going to love that. Good job, Jude. All right. <laughs> we planned that for weeks. Okay, he's three. <laughs> so what happens in this moment is that how do you actually bless the Lord? Like, what does that actually look like? We have these commands to do it, but what does that actually look like? What is every single part of you, what does it mean to bless the Lord? And here's what it means. The very first point of this message, like, how do you bless the Lord? You shout it. 
You say it aloud. You recognize, if you notice in the text, there's exclamation points after all of this. He's not like, bless the Lord, he's holy. He's like, bless the Lord, he's holy, he's so good. I cannot stop telling you about it. He's Billy Mazing this thing. Billy Mays here, let me tell you about OxyClean. David's like, I got something better than can take stains out of clothes. I have something that can wash you white as snow. I have something that can take what was crimson red and wash it towards the purest, whitest snow in the world that there will never be a blemish. So yeah, Billy Mays is excited about sodium bicarbonate, but David is excited about Jesus Christ and the Lord who is redeeming him and saving him. So David goes, I got to shout it. I got to say something about this. And I wonder for how many of us, that's us in our life, are, are, are you shouting about the Lord? And I don't mean you need to go to Publix and see your cashier, and then they're like, hey, how are you doing today? And I'm like, I love God! And they're like, what? And you're like, ah! And they're freaked out. And you're like, I just got to shout it! Right? I'm not, don't, that's scary. Don't do that. Hi, Mary! I love God! She's like, I can tell who's security. Security, you need someone to help you out to the car? Please leave, right? But could our life shout it? Could not our life in the way that we live and we find ourselves in impossible circumstances? You know, everyone's going through the same thing right now. We're all going through COVID together. We're all experiencing this time in history together. We're all experiencing what's happening in Afghanistan. Okay, we know people there. We've seen the text messages of believers hiding in closets, telling uh, the Westerners, saying, delete our number from your phone, for if the Taliban finds it, they're going to execute you. I know that that's a hard thing to think about, that they're hiding. I watched videos this week of parents handing their babies over a gate to try to get their children on planes to leave the country, not knowing where their children would go, but believing that it would be better than there. And we go like, where? Where's the praise in this? Like, where, where is God in all of this? Where, where is this happening? And I'll tell you this, it's not the failure of God, for God will redeem all things, and I don't know how it's all going to work, but I have to believe in who he is, not just what he does, and I'm going to believe and trust that the Lord is going to work the miraculous, but the church needs to begin to pray. The church needs to begin to seek reconciliation. We were built for moments like this. God has not been silent. He built a church with a message to tell the world. And I'm just going to promise you, Bedrock, our church, we as a church are going to do everything we can to help out in any way that we can. But see, praise circumvents or circumcedes circumstance. There's always something to praise about. And so you shout it. You, you, you not only shout it, but you serve God. What, what better way for us to say that we bless the Lord with all of our soul than to give our time, our talent, and our effort? And serving him doesn't just have to be here and being a greeter or anything like that, although we would invite you to. It can be just saying a word of encouragement. It can, it can be at the grocery store helping someone carry their groceries out. It, it does, you, you could just take your neighbor's trash can up. It doesn't have to be miraculous. God doesn't need miraculous works. He needs ordinary things, and he'll do the miraculous with it. And so church, let's just be the church, and not only do we need to tell, tell, you know, tell and shout about this, but we just got to tell others. Like, listen, church, if God's changed your life, why wouldn't you tell the world about it? I mean, some of y'all, like, you go to a restaurant and it's the only thing you can talk about. This changed my life. But sometimes we get, a, like, this is a little bit too hard to talk about this. But I don't know about you, but I'm not worried if I meet a vegan when I tell them I went to a barbecue restaurant and it changed my life. I'm not like, did I offend you? Oh, I'm so sorry. You don't eat meat. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll never talk about it again. We're not worried about that. So why are we worried all the time, not cramming Jesus down people's throats, but 
telling people about what Jesus has done in us. The greatest kind of tool that you have to reach the world is the story that God's given you. And so let me ask you, how is your story reflecting his story? It tells a message, right? The life we live tells the message. St. Francis of Assisi said this, share the gospel always and when necessary, use words. I would say this, share the gospel always and it better be accompanied by words. But here in this moment, David is saying, I cannot do anything but shout this. I cannot do anything but talk about this. And so he quickly goes into this moment. He says, I'm going to tell you how God works, right? That's Billy Mays. Here's the product. Let me show you how it works. And so the second point of the message is God works. Psalm 103, verses 3 to 7. Follow along with me. Who forgives all of our iniquity. This is the one that he's talking about. The Lord who does all of these things, who heals our diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for those who are oppressed. Could we just pray that for Afghanistan right now? Could we pray that for countries all over the world? Could we pray that for our own country? For the oppressed, for the people who are in persecution, who are experiencing incredibly demanding and unimaginable moments. Could they just hold tight to the press? God will give justice and righteousness. He made known his ways to Moses his acts to the people of Israel. Second part of the message is God works. God works. He absolutely works. And not only does he work and he'll work in your life, he does some work, right? He does some incredible things. And maybe just right now, I'm gonna talk about some of the things that he says that he does here, but can you relate to anywhere in your life where you saw God work? Where you saw him do something that was almost unexplainable, we talk about this all the time. Everybody wants a miracle. No one wants a circumstance that needs one. I used to have, I call it missionary envy. They would hear these stories. They'd be like, yeah, I went to, you know, the middle of the rainforest. And my plane got shot down, but then the Lord built a plane out of wood. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy, right? And I'd be like, man, oh, man, I wish I had that story. Until I needed one. Until I needed a miracle. Until I needed God to pull through. Then I was like, this isn't so great. <laughs> God did it, and we've shared about it multiple times. The fact that this church exists is a miracle, right? But man, oh man, God does some work. Listen to what happens in these verses. I'm just going to start listing the things that the, he says that God does. He's forgiving. Some of you just need to hear that. The miracle is the God of the universe forgives you. Psalm 55, against you and you alone, O Lord, have I sinned. That's good news for you and I. Why? Because then God alone can forgive. If we sin against him and him alone, then he alone can forgive us. That doesn't mean we don't seek forgiveness and seek reconciliation with others, but God says against me, you have sinned. And that's good news for us, for he's a good God, isn't he? And so he can forgive. He can do all of these things. Not only that, he's a healer. And not just physical health, but that happens, right? There, there's story after story after story of God doing the incredible that no one can explain. I don't know if you guys have watched this series. I can't remember the name of it. It's with Zac Efron and some other guy. And they, What? Does someone know? It's on Netflix. He drinks water. He does all this stuff. All right. You, got, you guys got to see it. You guys. Let's live. Um, but here's what happens. Zac Efron goes around the world. He learns about energy. He learns about water. He learns about all these things. But there's this place in France where they talk about the power of water. And when he does that, there's a guy there with the Catholic Church that his sole job is to record miracles that have happened. And he has binders of miracles. And in order for these miracles to work, they have to be attested to. There has to be medical documentation. And they have to be healed for over 40 years. And this guy goes, my job is to talk about how God healed people here. 
That's it. That's his whole job in life. He just investigates and makes sure this isn't a fake healing. God will heal you, but not only does God heal our body, he heals our souls. He rescues and redeems us. He anoints us and he, he helps us in these moments. See, some of us, we're physically getting better, but the wounds of what happened to us, the trauma that we have to deal with because of how those wounds came into our life are far greater. See, the body heals quickly. The mind does not. How many of us are still dealing in our life with things that happened to us when we were little? There's no shame in that. But do you believe he's the healer? Do you believe that he can do these things? And David says, I believe that. Not only does he heal, he redeems. Redeems is to make something new and to make it right, something broken and to make it right. He, he redeems it. He brings it back to its original purpose. See, some of you in this life, sin took you and used you in a way that you were never purposed to be used. And you feel the trauma and the guilt of that. And God says, but I'm a redeemer, and I will restore you to your original purpose. I'll restore you to how I created you and what I created you to be. And no longer do you need to be called by those names, but you need to be called my son or daughter. He redeems. He preserves our lives, right? He won't let death get us. He gives us love and mercy, and that's incredible. Grace is this, we get gifts that we don't deserve. Mercy is we don't get what we do deserve. See, some of us like, yes, grace, 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 but also mercy, mercy, mercy. Our sin earns one thing in this life, death. For the wages of sin is death. And it's not just physical. It's spiritual. It's relational. Intellectual, emotional, and physical death. We've done this before. We can go back sometime, and I'll show you how all of those things transpired in the garden. They died. In many ways, physical death just came a lot later. So God not only gives us love and mercy, but he blesses us physically and spiritually. So why can we bless God? Because he blesses us. Why can we love God? Because he first loved us. Our blessing God is simply us reciprocating what's happened. That's it. You're reciprocating to God. I have been blessed by you, and I want to bless and honor you. And so I don't need a circumstance to be right for me to reciprocate. How about this? In verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Maybe you just need to hear that God sees you. He sees you. He knows you. He sees what you're going through right now. And believe me, he will not be slow to do what is right. He treats us well, and he shows us who he is. That's one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. Through his work, we see who he is. In fact, we were thinking about this this week because we had a, a moment like this. Our, our kids are going to a brand new school. They're going to Sarasota Christian, and God provided for that in miraculous ways where we've been scholarshiped and, and all of these things, and God did a work, but Piper, my oldest, she, when we told her, hey, you're going to be changing schools. You're going to be going back to Sarasota Christian next year. She asked me something. See, because sometimes what God does doesn't seem good. Because we only look at what God does and not his heart. And so what Piper said to us, I'm not ragging on Piper. She, in her life, was processing things the best that she could. And she said, why are you doing, why are we going back there now? Why are we changing again? You just are doing this because it's easier on you. But because I knew my heart, I did not fill with anger, nor Kelsey. Kelsey looked at Piper and said, no, let me explain to you my heart as to why we're doing this. There's some things going on in the world. There's some things being taught in the world. There's some things happening in the world that we want to protect you from, that we want to, to make sure that you're in this safe place. We want to, right now, because you're so, we're going to train them to go take the world and, and go after it. I believe in that fully, but we got to get them a firm foundation. So we're protecting them. So I did not, and we did not put them in this school because it's more convenient for us. Because guess what? Parents all know this. How bad is drop-off? It's the worst thing ever. I, oh, my goodness. And then pick-up? 
This is not easier on me. But it's the right thing. See, for some of us, we look at the work of God and we're not seeing the goodness in it yet. And so we begin to doubt that it actually is good. But just like Piper, maybe you need to ask God why he's doing it. You know that God will allow some hard things in your life? Why? To shape you. God allowed Joseph to be sold into slavery. Why? Because what man meant for evil, God meant for good. Doesn't mean that when you go through that moment, you just, oh yeah, that's right. Joshua, that's what happened to him. Oh, I'm good now. I know that you're still struggling through those things, but the reality is too many of us, when we look at the acts of God, when it doesn't seem like it's good, we have to do what David does. We have to stop seeking the hand of God and seek his heart. Look at what the Bible says. This is the third point. Seek the heart, not the hand. See, David moves immediately to what, from what God physically does to why God does it. What David says is, it's not about what, it's about who. See, so many of us, our relationship with God is built on what he does, not who he is. But you aren't invited into a place where God just does things for you. You're invited into a relationship with him. So it's more about who than what. This is a long section of scripture, but I want us to look at this. I want us to see this. So I'm going to read through it. I might take a break and explain something. It's verses 8 to 19. Notice that the majority of this psalm is on who God is, not what God does. So look at what happens here. The Bible says this. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. That means what we do, God doesn't give us what we deserve. That's called grace. That's called mercy. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. I mean, the fact that you and I are alive and breathing when we might have done something we shouldn't have done yesterday is the grace of God in your life. Look at what the Bible says here. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him, honor him, bless him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I got to stop there because this is what happens in those first couple verses. He says, look, God, God is compassionate. God sees and knows what's going on, and he sees that our needs are met. But not only that, he's patient, and his love never fails. How many of you just need to hear that God's patient? You don't need to test his patience, but he is patient. Some of you feel like you just might be too far gone and that God can't do anything. Thank God he's infinitely patient. That he hasn't given up on you. That he sees you, and he knows exactly what's going on, and he doesn't give up on you, so don't give up on him. See, some of us give up on God because we believe God gave up on us. But there's never a cause too great for God. And God is not going to give up on you. So he's patient. His love never fails. God is not this guy. This is what the Bible says. He, God is not this guy in heaven looking for an opportunity to strike you down and to discipline you. Some of us live out of a fear of God, not out of a blessing or praise, but, but we're afraid that God's going to kill us. We're afraid that God's going to come against us. We're afraid of all of these things, and a healthy fear is okay because I'd rather take a healthy fear to keep you from doing something you shouldn't do than just a pure, holy, righteous reason why not to. I know a lot of guys who have like things on their browsers and things on their phone, and now girls, guys, I'm just going to tell you one in three new pornography viewers is female. This isn't just a male problem anymore. And they say, I, I don't know if God's really happy with me because the reason I don't go on those sites is because if I did, an email sent to somebody and they'll know. And I just don't feel good about it. I said, feel good that you're not walking in it. Feel good that even if it's for not the holiest of reasons, you're still staying away from what you shouldn't be doing. And it's not that, that God goes, just don't do this. See, God knows what it will do to you. God, that's why God forbids things. It's not preference for God. He knows the result of these things. 
And so God says, no, because I know the result. And that's why knowing the heart of God is so important rather than what he does because some of us view God as this cosmic killjoy. Why won't you just let me have fun? And God goes, because I know what that fun does. And it's fun for a minute. Guys, sinning is fun. That's why we do it. Sinning is fun. It's appealing. You're like, I've never heard a pastor talk about that. That's why it's so, it pulls us in so much. It's what sin does to us after that is unappealing. It's unappealing. What it does to us is unappealing. And I have firsthand experience of this. Before I was married, I had sex. I'm married. We have four kids. We've obviously done that too. <laughs> Somebody's like, how do kids have, I don't know. <laughs> Let me just tell you something. It's basically all the same except the feeling after. I'm just honest. And let me just tell you, the feeling that you feel after will ruin the other part of it completely. And so if there's a young person in the room right now that maybe you're on the edge of this and you say, I don't need you to be super religious, pastor. I'm not. I'm just warning you and telling you that I am a person who's lived through that mistake, and I know what it feels like, and I know what it does to you, and I know the regret that I have, and I know the baggage that it's put in my life, and I don't want that in your life. So it's not about religion. It's about relationship and what God wants to protect in you. So this is just like me saying like, hey, God is not just this mean person up in heaven looking to punish you. He's a father in heaven who's looking to protect you. Instead of, you know, we talk about this all the time. Maybe the reason that God says no is not to take your freedom away, but to preserve your freedom for the future. My kids, they're not allowed to go outside the backyard. We have a fence. Is that because I'm a bad dad and I don't like freedom? No, I like freedom so much, I want to preserve it, right? Because if my kids run to the front yard and it's a bad day, and I look at the, and they go, Dad, why are you constraining me? Dad, I just want to go to the front yard and play with my friends in the street. If I would be a terrible dad if I was like, you know what? I don't want to kill your joy. Go, go for it. I just want to be a cool dad. I don't want to be a cool dad. I want to be a good dad. And so sometimes I will say no in the moment, but I hope that my kids will eventually see my heart and go, that's why dad said no. How many of us older adults, I'm 35 now, I turned 35 on Wednesday. How many of us find ourselves saying things to our kids that our parents did? Like you parents said something to you like, hey, if you do this, this will happen, or right? Like, my, my mom always used to say, we are kind, intelligent, and loving people. And I always be like, roll my eyes, like, okay, mom. But then I realized she was trying to birth something in me so that when I got older, that's who I'd be. And so I say that same thing to my kids. And they're like, this is weird, dad. It's not weird. I'm trying to speak truth into your life. I'm trying to see something incredible in your life. So maybe just you need to hear that. God's not up in heaven looking to punish you. He's not up there with a club waiting. Like it's like not whack-a-mole. He's just waiting for you to sin so he can just hammer you down. He's more of a father who looks and watches and sees when you're about to fall. And when you fall, he picks you up. And when you can't walk, he carries you. That's who he is. And so whatever you're dealing with right now that you just don't understand what God is doing, you got to ask yourself, is this the result of me walking in something I shouldn't? Or is God have a better work in this and I need to have faith and trust? Because it's not about what, it's about who. And so the Bible breaks this, you want to know how much God loves you? Into two analogies, right? We just heard them. The first one is God loves you so much as the earth is to the heavens. What's the tallest thing during this time that you could see? The sky. And so what the psalmist says, you want to know how much God loves you? Like the earth to the heavens. That's how much God loves you. It's unfathomable to you. You cannot understand it. What this says to us is the intensity of God's love for us. He intensely, beautifully loves you and I. It's big love. 
In fact, my kids and I, uh, you know, you, you always say to people, I love you to the moon and back. Kids don't really, they're like, the moon? I've never been there. I don't know how far away that is. So my kids started telling me the furthest place they'd ever traveled for a long time was to Ohio. <laughs> and I'd say, I love you so much. And they'd say, you, Dad, you know how much I love you? To Ohio and back. <laughs> and you're like, that's not very much. But anyway, <laughs> you're like, what? But you know what? To them, that was the sky. That was the furthest place. That was the best way that they could express how much they loved us. Scout's a peewee, right? She's our third. She's little. She goes, Dad, I love you this much. I'm like, well, it's like three feet, okay? But, you know, <laughs> but to her, that's the biggest she's got. And so God says, I'm going to try to help you understand this as much as possible. I love you from here to the heavens. That's how much I love you. So it's this intensity, this moment. And then he goes, you want to really know how much I actually really love you as far as the east is from the west? In the text, it means like this, from where the sun rises to where the sun sets. That's how much I love you. And they go, that is a lot. And that's how far my sin is moving from me. That's incredible. We have a way to explain this now. How far is the east from the west? If we start and go east, well, that's north and south, but east and west, what are we doing? We're infinitely moving away from each other. And so what God says is, I took your sin and I sent it on a trajectory because I've killed it and I've sent you on a different path. And the further and longer you go, the further you're away from that thing. And what some of us in here need to realize is God loves you so much, he puts you on a different path. You don't need your memories to take you back. There's times that you just need to remember that I am infinitely removed from my guilt and my shame and my fear and my anger, and I don't have to turn back and look at it. So Paul says in Philippians, right, I now no longer remember what is behind me, but I had turned and pressed forward to what is ahead of me. Or listen to Micah, Micah chapter 7, verse 19. This is what it says. You will again have compassion on us, Micah's talking to the Lord. You will tread on our sins underfoot. You will trample them. You will annihilate them. And it says this, and hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will put everything under your foot. You will annihilate everything that was here to kill us and here to destroy us. And you will take it up and you will throw it into the sea. And it will be infinitely removed from me and some of us in this room need to start believing that and that's why David goes there's always a reason to bless the Lord because even when I feel like I'm in hell I know that I'm not really here and I know that he's doing a good work and I know what it seems like it is killing me God may use to preserve me and I know that the guilt and the shame that I feel God is infinitely moving me away so with all of me I bless you for you have changed me. But then finally, the last part of these verses, the Bible goes into this story about how God understands us. Verse 14, look at what it says. Or sorry, 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. What he means is he knows our makeup. He knows what we go through. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. You're like, oh, what, what does that mean? As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it is gone and, it, it place it in, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is, for, is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. That means generations. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. This is what he means there. He is saying that not only is it removed, but God is infinitely understanding of us. He infinitely knows. Some of us think like, God, you just don't know and see. Hebrews fixes this for us, for we have a great high priest who has been tempted in every way that we have been tempted. And he is what? Jesus, our advocate to the Father. The Bible remembers, he remembers that you and I were made from the dust. 
You're like, oh, I'm an evolutionist. Well, it's kind of close, right? Like it was a puddle, maybe mud, right? We believe in creation here, but here we go. He remembers where you and I came from, and here's how this relates. That same boy that you heard laughing a few moments ago has had one of the worst weeks of going to bed we have ever experienced. He's learned how to jump out of his crib like a pole vaulter. He's like, whoa, he's out. Okay, it takes like a second. In fact, like the other night, Kelsey's like, good night, Jude. Okay, we'll see you later. And she goes to shut his door. And by the time she's shutting his door, he's like, boom, and he's out. He's gone. We're like, what? How does this happen? And literally, we have had to put him to bed nearly 13 times in one night. And you're like, whoa. That's awful. I know. Pray for your pastor. <laughs> and so Kelsey put out this poll that said like, hey, we're having a problem. We've had four kids. Like, he's our fourth, but this is a whole new mess. And he <laughs> said, what do you do? And people jokingly wrote in and said, you can imprison him? I'm like, what? And like, just reverse the locks on his door. We're like, oh, okay. Right? Then some people said, drug him. Melatonin. <laughs> Give him some melatonin. He's probably got allergies. Give him some Benadryl. Right? So we got uh, imprison him and drug him. And then some people are like, you just spank him. So then beat him. Okay. <laughs> okay. This seems like not good. Okay. If he was 25, I might say like, boy, take some melatonin. Boy, if you come out one more time, you're going to see dad strength, right? Like it's going to happen. We're going we're gonna to have a moment here. But he's three. And I, as a good father, remember where he is. I remember that he's three years old. I remember that for him, it's a game. For him, he doesn't understand. And the reason we want him to go to bed is because it's good for him. But for him, it feels like we're killing him sometimes. He's like, I just want to stay up and hang out. But we remember who he is and where he is in life. And so we have grace. And so we literally take him by the hand, walk him back into bed, and he's crying. I didn't even have to work out this week. I've bicep curled this kid so many times just getting him in the crib. My arms are sore. But because I remember where he is, my grace and mercy flows. God remembers where you are. And his grace and mercy flows. So it's not about what God does, although God does some incredible things. It's really about who he is. And when we can't understand what God is doing, we have to seek his heart, not his hand. We have to see what he does. And then finally, as we end this psalm, David does what every other infomercial does. He invites Look at what the psalm says in verse 20 to 22. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers, who, all, who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. And then he ends it like he started it. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, every part of me. And so what David does in this psalm is he goes, you've got to give God all you got. You've got to praise him with all you got. And that matters even more when it gets bad. And when it gets bad, you've got to remember his good works. You've got to remember the things that he does. But when you're not understanding what he's doing, you have to remember his heart. Some of you just need to remember that God loves you. Right now, you're going through hell right now in your life. You don't understand any of it. And all you need to hear right now is God loves you. That's it. He loves you. And then he says, and because of this, I'm going to invite the entire world to praise the Lord. I'm going to invite the entire world to bless the Lord, to honor him and give him praise, for he is good and he is kind and gracious. So with every part of his soul of every aspect of creation, David says, praise him. Praise him. Everything, angels, workers, pastors, ministers, people, my own soul, praise him. 
because there's nothing not to praise about him. And what you realize is when you praise, you're free. You're free. Some of us just need to sing praise to the problem. Some of us need to remind our problem who God is. Right? Some of us in here are just feeling our past all of the time. The enemy is just bringing it up, pulling it up. And you just thinking about it and obsessing about it is like pulling hell into your life, like just pulling it up. And see, when the enemy begins to remind you of what you've done, and he begins to remind you of your past, you may have heard this, you just tell him his future. You want to talk about my past? You want to talk about what's happened to me? Let me tell you where you're going. Let me tell you what's going to be happening. And I will bless the Lord, for there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And all of this will be for my good, for I will be in heaven, and you will not. So give me your best. Remind me of everything. I'll let you know your future. And what you realize is when you resist the devil through the power of God, he will flee from you. So what's the invitation? There's really just two. How do you bless the Lord and recognize who he is? The very first way is to believe in what he's done. That Jesus lived and he died and he rose again. Not to be made right, but to make us right. And to heal us and to do an incredible work. See, what sin meant to kill us, God meant to free us. And notice that God used the very thing, sin and death, when he died for it and he rose again to free us. I heard it said like this, the cross is where God made evil serve evil death. For its sting is completely gone. The best the devil's got is death. That's it. That's all he's got. And he took it away. So the very first thing is to believe. But then church, our praise doesn't stay here. It's meant to go out to the world. And just like David said, shout it. Tell the world about the one who is saving us.